Hello and welcome, this is Verity. We are here today for our first episode in the Global Sport Conversation podcast series, a collaborative project between the Centre for International Studies and Diplomacy, the Japan Research Centre, the Centre for Media and Film Studies and SOAS Radio, all proudly funded by the Research and Enterprise Office Seed Corn Initiative. The purpose of this podcast series is to explore with industry and academic experts the role sport has played in their lives and professional practices. It is an exciting opportunity for a variety of voices and multiple interpretations of the leading question, where does sport fit? Our guest today on the 12th of April 2018 is dialing in from Switzerland. It's my pleasure to welcome Aziade Poltier Mutal, who, in my opinion, has the coolest job title and role. Aziade, can I bring you in and ask immediately how you came to be the head of the Perception Change Project in the Office of the Director General in the United Nations? Yeah, hello, thank you. I'm very glad to be here with you. Um, so I started on this job uh, last year. Uh, so the Perception Change Project is a project that was uh, launched by the Director General of the United Nations in Geneva, Mr. Michael Mola, in 2014 um, to change the narrative on the work that is done in International Geneva with all the organizations together and to promote three big subjects in which we are all working, which are uh, peace, rights, and well-being. So we have been doing that through infographics, uh, through books, uh, through videos, through social media, and uh, now the PCP is uh, gathering uh, 105 uh, partners uh, from International Geneva, and we try to communicate together on uh, these uh, three issues and the sustainable development goals. Fabulous. That sounds like a, an amazing project, gaining a lot of momentum as we um, reach the point of the first review of the sustainable development goals. Um, whereabouts does sport come into this? You're leading on the upcoming Match for Solidarity that takes place on uh, the 21st of April. And how did that game and partnership between UEFA and the UN come about? Um, so one part of, uh, of what we're doing in the PCP is, of course, uh, trying to, to have partnerships with uh, well, the world of sports as well, because we can promote uh, many of the, of the issues we, we're working on. But uh, it's also because uh, in my previous life, before the PCP, I was uh, working in uh, the United Nations Development Program, and um, I was responsible for um, event that uh, was called the Match Against Poverty, and uh, this is how all the relations with uh, FIFA and UEFA uh, started, uh, as well as with uh, football players. So in the United Nations Development Program, uh, we started in 2003, I think, or 2002, with a campaign that was called uh, um, Teams to End Poverty. And uh, so the, the campaign was a huge advertising campaign in which we had to put celebrities together uh, for uh, to promote and to, to, to do actions against poverty and also for uh, what was called at the time the Millennium Development uh, Goals. No? Uh, so the first pair of celebrities we had was uh, Ronaldo and Zidane. They didn't know each other at that time. One was playing with uh, uh, Inter Milano and the other one was playing with uh, Juventus. And, and they accepted to be together on this campaign uh, and then little by little, they, 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 well, they became goodwill ambassadors of, of UNDP, and uh, when they were appointed, uh, I think that first one was in 2000 and the other one, and, and Zidane in 2002, uh, they came with the idea of 
um, organizing uh, a match uh, because they said this is what we know, uh, this is what we played, this is what we can bring to the United Nations, and this is how the matching and scholarship was created. The only thing is that they said, of course, we're players, we're football players, and uh, we need someone to organize it. So we will introduce you to FIFA, uh, to the people in UEFA, to our sponsors, but you organize it. So this is how we started organizing the match against poverty. Uh, so that was a very successful uh, uh, event. The formula we had at the beginning was a team of friends of Ronaldo and a team of friends of Zidane. The, the first match took place in 2003. Uh, in Basel, and uh, we contacted FIFA, and FIFA organized the same day of the um, same evening of the match the um, FIFA World Player Award. Uh, Zinedine Zidane had it. Uh, so, in that, in, and then, well, the president of FIFA was also with us in the, um, in the match. Uh, and this is how it started. In 2010, we changed the formula because, of course, the players were, were getting old, and uh, we had uh, Ronaldo and Zidane in one team, which was the UNDP team, and then we started playing against clubs. And this is how clubs got involved uh, after a call to proposal. So, uh, and then, uh, so for example, so we started with uh, Lisbon with Benfica, then Olympiacos in Athens, then I think it was um, HAV Hamburg in Hamburgo. Then Porto Alegre, that was in December 2010, 2012, that was the 10th anniversary, and Ronaldo asked if we could do it in Brazil. Um, Neymar came, uh, that was a huge event, that was just before the, the World Cup in, in, in Rio. Then we had uh, 2014 in Bern, and the last one took place in Saint-Étienne in uh, France. And then, well, we all know that Zidane uh, retired and he became a coach from Real Madrid. Uh, Ronaldo retired also, so we stopped the match against poverty. While we were organizing these matches, we noticed that um, all the sports organizations, and that would include, uh, of course, UEFA and FIFA, they, 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 they started to work on very specific projects. So for FIFA, it was Football for Hope, and then for UEFA, they, they created their own foundation. And for UEFA, we knew that they wanted to organize a charity match at some point. So when I came to the PCP, um, I heard that uh, UEFA was about to create uh, a charity match with, uh, with Legends. So we made an introduction between the head of the United Nations and uh, the new head of, of UEFA. Uh, you know, as you know, UEFA is based in Lyon, which is really 30 kilometers from, from Geneva. Uh, and it was decided that uh, we would do that uh, in West, between the two organizations. So that's how it started. That's a fascinating insight. Thank you. Um, and interesting that, like you said, around narratives, it's interesting that the, it was almost an organic starting point around uh, the friendship groups of the players and your happenstance, you know, meetings with them. Um, and it's nice to see how having retired, the players are still engaging and contributing and the whole project sort of grown and evolved. This is exactly what, what was beautiful in the match against poverty and what we see it is that all these players that retire and are still very young, they love to play in these charity matches and they love to give back. Part of the success of these matches is that they meet again uh, and uh, they're all friends. Uh, they, they know each other, they have both been playing in, in these European football clubs. Um, so now, for example, if, if you go to Juventus or you go, you see, well, even uh, Inter Milano. Inter Milano, they have the inter-campus uh, um, 
pro program uh, Juventus now they have David Casegay as the head of the Legends team so they are going to also try to start with a, with a charity game uh, you have the, the, the Beckham UNICEF uh, game uh, you have the Liverpool Legends game so it is very trendy but it's not only trendy it's, like, it's really part of um, it's, it's what they want to do after, after they retire yeah, I think that's a really useful point, especially um, certainly in the English context. The sort of system and the relationships that um, you've started and promoted have had a direct impact on some of our local um, charity and local work. For example, um, a SOAS alumnus, Omar Salha, organised um, and contributed to the game for Grenfell, where uh, Jose Mourinho was in goal, you know, and it attracted some really big stars. And that was started from a university student and their passion, but brought forward and given this platform by the great work that's done at the international level um so there's that there's direct contact um an impact there um just to follow on from that who do you think benefits the most from not necessarily football games but from sport from the work that you've done with the un so you have two aspects i would say is that you have both the 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 the, the the advocacy part and the communications part, and then and then the, the fact that of course you can watch events, you can watch football, you can watch your stuff, and then it is when 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 you got into the fundraising. So for example, for the National Poverty, we raised in total between four and five million dollars, and this went directly to projects in the field. So you have the public, and then you have the beneficiaries. Yeah, everybody uh, gets something from from it. Uh, now, of course, we're not talking about huge amounts, but sometimes uh, w- when you fund a very specific project on, I don't know, let, let's see an example on a football pitch in, uh, because it happened after, after the earthquake in Haiti, uh, in, in Port-au-Prince, in which kids can come and can play. So with $100,000, you can do a project and somehow it is a visible project. So then you communicate about the project. So there is always something that you can show and then people can see how sports is contributing to development. Brilliant and uh, interesting that you mentioned Haiti then because before we were speaking we were speaking of mostly European based players, a lot of activity based in uh, Switzerland in particular. Um, You said about the match in Brazil uh, which was wonderful. but for me, the, the grassroots and wider reach that have been targeted by the UN and FIFA are most definitely nation states that do need the, the infrastructure and help to deliver better grassroots football and community-based projects. Um, and I was really interested and wanted to ask you, um, the United Nations has taken a proactive role of using sport for good, which has is, is historically been the case for decades. Um, however, last year there were some eyebrows raised when the Office for Sport Development and Peace was moved from the United Nations to the International Olympic Committee. How has that progressed uh, since the move? So it's not that the office was moved, it's that um, now what is happening is that, you know, you, you have many partnerships that are, if I can well, call it like this, that are bilateral partnerships. So you have this, this the, for example, when the, when the office on sports is this, you know that they were all sponsored by countries. Huh? So, for example, well, we started with Mr. Ogi, and he was um, well, somehow sported, uh, sponsored by Switzerland, uh, and then Mr. Lemke from, from Germany. So it has been a mechanism in which you would coordinate the work of, of the other agencies. And this is how we, we go to the UN Interagency Task Force on Sport and Development uh, that was, was bringing together UN funds, programs, and specialized uh, agencies uh, that would use sports in their activities. Um, 
so little by little you had you had organizations that were working more with with some type of of, of, of agencies so one example would be the the UNHCR no the the, the refugee agencies uh, now for example they have created this refugee fund so that there is a direct link between the IOC and, and the agency. Uh, or, for example, um, you would have also um, uh, all the um, programs uh, with, uh, with UNAIDS or, or with UNICEF, um, with specific sports, for example, cricket, uh, for example, uh, I don't know, tennis table, uh, the Taekwondo Federation. And this is really working. This was also brought thanks to this, to this secretariat. Now, um, I think that the success of the Secretariat was that the, 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 the sports federations were working much more on, on, on this sports and development uh, area. For example, the IOC, they have their own department on sports and development. So what has been agreed now is that the issues on sports and development would be managed from, from the IOC, but it doesn't mean that we're not going to have these conversations. So you have one person, for example, that is dealing with, uh, with, with relations with international organizations. So the special advisor function is no longer in the, in the UN, but probably there would be a mechanism of coordination at some point. That's that's brilliant insight. I think there's a, a number of academics and practitioners that I've spoken to the past couple of months that were interested to how that that mechanism um, would be communicated because it, you know from the press releases it, it was didn't have the level of detail you've just discussed and it does make um, sense what you've just said um, moving forward. I just hope that the, it's the cohesion that was developed and the the solidarity to to steal the phrase from your upcoming football game uh, continues so that all of the good work can be in unison but also a variety of voices. Um, here at SOAS we're really trying to develop a conversation around global sport that um, allows varying different layers, varying different individuals or organisations to contribute to what is just a myriad of voices and, and impacts. There is a very fertile ground for that and, and, and now we, we all know each other uh, really and now for example once a year well, we have this uh, there is a new initiative which is called the Building Bridges Between International Organizations and Sports Federations. Uh, the last one was in October. Um, and, and, and we've seen the same people and we're really discussing. Now we're saying, okay, how we can contribute to the sustainable development goals. And, and you can see in the Sports Federation that they have a, their own project, on, on their, their, their own initiatives on, on, on the SDGs. Um, so, yeah, it, it is happening. Um, it is... Um, all the issues related to gender, um, all the all, all the campaigns. Uh, um, so yeah, it's it's really going well. Um, good. That the insight into the the meeting is good. Um, I'd be interested if you could potentially share a link to that after this, and we can disseminate that because I know uh, certainly from a PhD student's perspective, it's sometimes it's difficult to access these organisations or keep track of when people are meeting and whether there's publicly accessible reports or minutes and that's really useful from a sort of research and governance perspective. So yeah, this is what someone on, and maybe academia needs to really get into, into that too but we need, so when we're talking about coordination, we need this place in which we can find all this information because there are a lot of information. Um, the, the best practices, the best projects, the federations that are doing uh, the events, uh, everything. Now, there is one organization that is really responsible for sports and physical education, which is UNESCO. Uh, so there is a UN agency that is really has the mandate to, to, to work on that. 
so this could be one possibility. I was the sports-focused person in, in UNDP, so maybe say, we can continue with that. And, and I know that in many organizations you have a sports-focused person, but it's, it's really, especially now that we can communicate so easily, is to have focus for people uh, working on, 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 on anything that is related to, to, to sports and development. And, well, for you it would be sports and diplomacy as well. Yeah, of course. And that's a really interesting point about UNESCO because me and Mia actually met via the UNESCO World Radio Day this year because the theme was sports. Yes, it was sports. Yeah, yes. so we, we hadn't actually internally met before that and it was it was the UNESCO uh, theme that actually united us, which was quite nice. Um, yeah. I, couldn't, I couldn't agree more about... Um, the idea of communication and the idea of having a much better um, monitoring and evaluation and almost just quite simply a repository of all of the work that's being done. Um, I think with from an academic perspective, the, the pressures of um, data security and data preservation is something that... Um, we as a, as a research community would like to contribute just so that when that's created by an organization it safeguards everyone involved because you know you need for example you need copyright permissions if you were going to uh, reproduce or signpost to a, an official document so there's that minute detail to think about when you're when you're thinking okay how can we actually monitor the impact of all of this and collect all of this exactly yeah yeah that's, um, that's another very important uh, part because you know for example for the match for for solidarity it's uh, it's when you see, when 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 you're seeing that, uh, that it's two different bodies that are just uh, me- meeting, it's it, it's becoming the same language in the end. Uh, so, for example, this football uh, for us, for the United Nations, uh, it's at the local level. Uh, it's a way to show solidarity um, and raise awareness of the sustainable environment goals. Uh, and uh, and this is something that it, it's not that you're coming and that nobody understands the language. Now everybody understands it. So we are, we are having the same language. The only thing is that we're, we're implementing different types of projects. And this is an interesting part of, 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 of sports and development. For example, for the Match for Solidarity, the money will go to the UEFA Foundation. Now, in terms of implementation of projects, it's true that probably now the federations know how to implement projects. Asiade, everything so far has been a really, really um, intriguing insight into your into your professional practice. Um, the final question that I wanted to ask you, which is more of a personal one, um, is you're from an international relations and marketing background. So how has sport yes. uh, benefited or challenged your very rich career? So I think that sport, and especially football, I think that this is something I had when I was a kid because I was doing a lot of track and field. Uh, so I was running for the school, so I already loved sports. And then I was raised in Peru. Uh, I am Dutch. Uh, and I remember very well when my mother took me to the Dutch embassy to watch uh, Holland, who never got to the, who never won the World Cup, but they went. They had always, this, well, two times in second place. Uh, so, and, and then in South America, people were really celebrating, uh, especially the women, were celebrating football. So um, I think it started like this. I think I, I, I loved I loved sports, and I saw how sports could um, um, yeah could uh, really unite people and uh, uh, especially popular sports. So I think it started there. And then you do international relations, then you do marketing, and in the end you always end up with sports because it is a fantastic tool uh, to communicate and uh, to to work in campaigns. And, and if you take the example of the of, of the League of the Lady campaign that we did uh, with um, 
with the, well, with, with the agency in London is that when we were decided on the celebrities that would um, start the campaign, um, at that time we were thinking about, uh, I don't know, Michael Jackson, Madonna, etc. But in the end, uh, when, when there was a global uh, survey from the, from the agency, at the end, uh, the, the celebrity that really was well-known and that was loved was, was a football player. So this is how it started. And that was the beginning, of course, of the Goodwill Ambassadors, of the Sports Goodwill Ambassadors. We didn't have much at the beginning. It was more on the showbiz, actors, literature. Um, so, um, yeah, this is how it started. How it started. And, and uh, I wish you the best of luck for the game on the 21st. I believe tickets are still available. Um, and I know that Jonas, my PhD colleague, is most excited to go the go to the event I sadly can't uh, come across this time um, and it's it's just to sort of summarize is what's fascinating for me um, again as a PhD student is that the work I read around sport and diplomacy and some of the seminal figures uh, such as Simon Rove here at SOAS or colleagues in Australia such as Stuart Murray um, are making the case for um, diplomacy and the interconnections of sport around negotiation, representation and communication and your career and your professional practice all encapsulate this. So you, you for me, are a walking, talking sport diplomat to an extent. Um, we can obviously explore that further in due course, but for today, that was a really fantastic contribution to our global sport conversation. So thank you so much, Aziade, and have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. That wraps up our first podcast on the Global Sport Conversation series. We have more coming out very soon and ongoing public events around sport diplomacy and governance. Check out the SOAS event pages for more details or tweet me at verity underscore pos. Have a great rest of your day and stay active and conversing.